Well, good morning again. Um, I want to say congratulations to Isaac and Natalie for their baby girl. Good to have you guys with us here this morning. And so if you want to oogle over the baby, you can. Um, and so great to have you guys with us. Uh, um, we are continuing a conversation on the truth between us. And last week, I was very nervous, to tell you the truth, as I started this series, because we started with the topic of Islam, and right now it's a hot button because of all that is going on. And my fears were that it wouldn't be clear what I'm trying to convey, but I was Grateful for all of you who came up afterwards and thanked me and were honest with me and said, when you first started, I was really worried. I was really concerned. I saw some of that. You guys were kind of like being real, staring me down. You know, you're like mad dogging me from the chairs there. And as you were squirming in your seat, I guarantee you, I was squirming in mine as well. But as... It went forward, I think what I appreciated is that a lot of you came up to me and said, you know, I really see where I have been at fault in how I have been looking at people and looking at how they are opportunities. There are opportunities for me to to bring the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done to people if I would remove some of that prejudice that has been there that maybe we weren't even aware of. And, you know, as Christians, there are a lot of things that we believe that aren't essential to what it means to be Christian. There are things where you could say, well, yeah, there are certain things that I I don't need. These aren't the things that are required for me to, to be an actual follower of Jesus. And then there are some things that these have to be in place. Without these, I couldn't call myself a Christian. But then if you get two different people, you'll have a few different ideas of what those few things are. See, some people might say, yeah, you know, baptism is something that's obedience, but it's not required, you know, for you to actually be a follower of Jesus. And there's other people say, oh, no, you've got to have the baptism. Some people, well, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, how we interpret them. Some people, oh, no, you got to interpret them this way. And, and so you get so much diversity, even amongst Christians. And what we tend to do, at least I tend to do, when I see someone whose faith is different than mine, I immediately think about those things that are different and want to correct them. Kind of like our kids, you know, when you see them growing up, it's like, oh, you should do that this way and you should do that this way. And we start wanting to fix things in in the other people's beliefs. And I wonder if we could, even through this series, maybe we can get to a place where we can find areas of respect and even inspiration from others. To be able to tell someone that we have taken on a better posture, a better attitude, a, a 
that we appreciate the value that they have and that that value has maybe even inspired us, even though they have a faith different than us. Years ago when I used to oversee a high school group, it was in Alhambra. I remember we would be up, you know, on a Sunday morning, I'd have our high school group in a room while the main church was taking place, and I'd have the normal group of of kids there, the high school group. And I remember one Sunday, this young man, a Vietnamese young man named Kwok came in, and I noticed him, but then he left right afterwards, and then the next Sunday he came back, and and so I said, hey, how are you doing? Introduce myself. And, And he introduced himself to me, and I said, so... You know, are your parents coming here? Because I, I, I didn't recall, you know, any Vietnamese people there at the church. He goes, no, my parents don't come. I go, they don't. And he goes, no, I, I just... And he didn't speak English really well. He just said, we, we came here and I wanted to go to temple. But I didn't know where there was a temple. So I saw this church and people were meeting here. So I wanted to come. And so he came and I was like, Oh my goodness. All these other kids who are in my class are forced to come by their parents. And if you're in high school, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Or if you're a parent of a high school, maybe you know. It's like, and this guy on his own comes to a place where he doesn't know anyone, hardly speaks English, and it's a religion different than his. Is that impressive or what? And Kwok came to Christ. I I was able to lead him to Jesus and, and talk to him about Jesus. And I remember... One time, driving up, because the the church met at a Seventh-day Adventist church at the time, and one time I was driving up, I think it was Almanzer, and it was raining, and as it's sitting there pouring down rain, I see Kwok walking to church by himself. And I can't tell you the impression it left on me that the determination to connect to Something, he didn't even know what it was about, but he wanted to connect that even though it was raining, he would not stop, and he walked there. There's some people who are probably not here this morning because it might drizzle. (laughs) And here was a teenage young man, probably 15 years old, walking in the rain to go to a place where he knew nobody barely spoke the language because he needed to connect to something. Can we look at something like that and see a person who who grew up in this Buddhist environment but had this kind of a devotion and be inspired? Can, Can we look at something like that and gain something? You know, I hope that we can learn and and see people and and listen to others in such a way that we actually come away with respect for them and not just disdain for what they believe. And as I mentioned last week, it's easier to connect to individuals than it is to ideology. And so if we could stop looking at ideology as this one's right, this one's wrong, and start looking at people and say, 
I admire what I see in you. Maybe then we can find a, a line that we could connect to them and help them connect to the God we believe in. Because no one does well when they're ridiculed or when they're told they're wrong. If you go up to someone and say, you're wrong, your faith is useless, and you're going to hell, they're probably not going to want to keep talking to you. And so may we find some common areas that can start conversations that are meaningful. And that's my intention throughout this this conversation, is to talk on these topics and help us to connect some dots that help them to connect other dots. And so today we're going to be talking about Christianity and Buddhism. You know, Buddhism started, or Buddha was around 500 BC. There's a little, you know, gap, but it's around that time in the northern part of India or Nepal. And there are some core things that are values, that core of Buddhism, and, and two of the things that are at core is understanding human suffering and to liberate people from mythology and idolatry. Those are two of the core values of Buddhism. And so here is Buddha in northern India at this time, and his narrative, one of the first things that he addresses and sees and wants to deal with is is really so central to the human experience. It's not exclusive to that part of the world. It's something that's connected to us as well because there is so much suffering in the world and how many times are people saying, why, if God exists, is there so much suffering? If you go to a Christian bookstore, you will find books C.S. Lewis, The Problem of Pain, Philip Yancey, Where is God When It Hurts? You'll, you'll find so many things because this is an important conversation that each human being has. And, and there's even a whole sect of Christianity that deals with this idea of pain in a way that basically says it is not God's will for you to be sick It's not God's will for you to be in any kind of need. It is God's will for you to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And by the way, that's not true in case you didn't know that. But there are a group of people, and I think trying to reach people or to appeal to people, they'll say things like, if you come to Jesus, he will solve all your problems and he will deal with all your troubles. And if you come to to Christ, your life will be better and all these things will fall into place. And so people come to church and they come to Christ with this promise that my life is going to get better. And then when they continue on and things don't get better, they feel disillusioned and leave and maybe even go and pursue Buddhism because what they're trying to do is find some way to answer these questions. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Why do I feel this way? What can I do to alleviate this in my life? I remember years ago, there was a young man in high school who 
got in a car accident and was paralyzed from the waist down. His name was Tom. And we met him at a church and we connected with Tom and we started helping him get to church and bringing him there. And, and you know, what a, a tragic event. I forget all that was involved with the accident. I think they were partying or something like that. And this accident happened and here he is, a young man. 16, 17 years of age, and now he is paralyzed for the rest of his life in a wheelchair. And he comes to Christ because he is looking for hope, he is looking for something. And then someone told Tom that it was Jesus' will to heal him, and if he had enough faith, that he would be able to walk again. And so Tom believed as hard as he could. But days turned to weeks, turned to months. And then Tom could not shake the disappointment and the depression that followed that because I was promised that Jesus would heal me and he didn't. And I so want to deal with what I'm going through And this didn't work. And maybe it's been our failure to address effectively the whole area of human suffering that is one of the reasons people try and find something else to deal with what is going on in their lives. You see, and the truth between us is that suffering is a human reality that times becomes the prevailing experience of our lives. And it's not like every moment is suffering. I mean, no matter what you're going through, there's still ice cream. You know, there's still puppies. There are still things that bring you some kind of of happiness or, or a little bit of, you know, relief. And so it's not that everything... Every moment of life is defined by this suffering, but sometimes our lives themselves just become defined by suffering. You see, and so here is Buddha living in North India, and he sees poverty and human suffering to a great extent. He's observing these things and seeing it just overwhelming in the society he was living in. And he also sees people worshiping a pantheon of gods and idols and mythology and they they sacrifice to their idols and they suffer for these gods. They give themselves over to these gods, but nothing changes. And so as he sees the poverty and he sees the idolatry, he sees the people giving themselves to these things, but he doesn't see their lives changing. And so what he does is he makes an observation that religion brings them no relief in life. And so he sets on a path to help people be set free from this mythology, the slavery of idolatry, worshiping these idols and nothing changes. And so Buddhism becomes this, in a sense, spiritual atheism. You see, Buddhism is a non-theistic religion. It's a religion that doesn't have a a God who is a figure or an identity. And he declares that all these idols, all these gods are false. 
and they can't help you in your suffering. They can do nothing to avail you, which was a pretty incredible thing to say at that time when everyone was overwhelmed with idolatry and the worship of just every kind of God in Hinduism at that time where he was at that you could imagine. Turn to Isaiah chapter 44. About 700 B.C., the prophet Isaiah writes this. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol, which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. He also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god. His idol he bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me. You are my God. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing of what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is it not this thing in my right hand a lie? And so if we have something in common, Isaiah and Buddha both have this understanding that why would you make a god and then be enslaved to it? To believe in something like this, it's only going to lead you to more suffering. I know a lot of people want to say, well, all religions are the same. They're all good and they'll all lead to the same place, but that's just not true. 
And it's important for us to be clear on these kinds of things because we have to own our choices and our responsibilities. We have to recognize these things. But if there is a truth between Buddhism and Christianity or even Isaiah, it's that worshiping idols is foolish. You know, because of what Buddha saw, he determined that life was filled with suffering. And it was constant and endless suffering. And so instead of there being a God who was in charge, he believed that what was driving us, the suffering, it was karma. Karma is this suffering that we are locked into. And so what needs to happen is you have to to go through this suffering and then you have to learn how to get rid of it. And then what will happen is you'll die and then you will be born another time and you'll live another life and then you'll die again. And this idea of reincarnation is that karma is pushing you and each time you come through, you have to unload the burdens of this suffering. Now, we have a way in the Western world of of romanticizing things. For us, reincarnation is this cool thing. Yes, I was Cleopatra. No, I was James Dean. Can't you tell? You know, and we, we just have this way of making something. No one ever says, yeah, you know, in the last life I was a roach. And then I came back, you know, got an upgrade or downgrade, depending on what you think. You see, the idea of reincarnation was not a good thing. Reincarnation is a prison, if you will, because you have to come back and get it right. You you have to come back and escape from this by removing from yourself the desires that are causing suffering. The need to break free the need to eliminate these things. And so, in a sense, freedom only comes when you free yourself from your desires and you become nothing, selfless. And so there is this idea of if I am suffering, it is showing me that there is karma that is pushing me and my object in this life is to free myself from all the things that cause suffering, which are all my desires. Because otherwise I will have to experience this again and again and again. And Solomon had kind of a a similar experience with the idea of suffering in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 11, a passage I think you're familiar with, where Solomon is trying to find out the meaning of life. And he says, basically, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utter meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now imagine this from a a Buddhist mindset that your whole purpose of life is to free yourself from anything that you would desire that would cause suffering. Because everything that you encounter, all these desires, 
lead to suffering. And so your objectivity is to remove everything or your attachment to everything from your life. Verse 3 says, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they again return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And so the ideas of Buddhism are very sympathetic to what Solomon is experiencing here as Solomon is trying to fill his life with all the things that his eyes perceive, all the things that his heart desires. He is trying to fill his life with them and he's saying they're meaningless, they're meaningless. This mounts to nothing. And we see this understanding that a life that is given over to things finds this meaningless. And in rejecting these false gods, he concluded that, Buddha concluded that there was no God, there there was no conscious mind, and in place of this God, there was the principle of karma. That there is this force that drives and directs our lives. It is driven by suffering and meaninglessness. And the only way to be free from this meaningless and suffering is to be detached. So here is Solomon connecting himself to everything and he says it's meaningless. And here is Buddha saying, all those things, they're going to bring suffering. Your freedom from them is to detach yourself from those things. Buddha said that in the end, what causes our suffering is desire. And and if we could detach ourselves, we could move away from this suffering. Think about this. If you have lost someone dear to you, a spouse, a child. There may have been a time where the the pain was so great that you wished you could just forget it because it it hurts so much. You see, but the the problem is, and one of the nuances here is to detach yourself from the pain, you also have to detach yourself from the love. And to detach yourself from the love is to detach yourself from the things that were at one time important to you. You detach yourself from every human experience. And so to move from absolute desire is actually to move to absolute nothing. No attachments. You remove them all from your life. Now, there are some things that Jesus said that should spark some thought regarding this in our attachments to other things. 
Jesus said that unless you hate, or Jesus said, look at it, he looked at a young man and he said, go and sell all that you have and then follow me. Jesus said that unless you hate your father, mother, sister, brother, your children, even your own life, that you're not worthy, you have no part of me. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You can't serve God and money. John, the apostle, said not to love the world or anything that is in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? You see, Jesus had a lot to say about the power of attachment on our lives, that what we love would show up in who we are. It would shape us. And so from a Buddhist perspective, Christianity or maybe just the Western society overall is very greedy. It's attached to a lot of materialism. It's connected to all these things. And so the truth is that so much of our suffering is because we love the wrong things. Because we make those choices that connect us to things that are actually dangerous for us. We, we could learn something about the danger of attachments. But there are nuances. There, there are some things that we have to recognize. And here's where the, the truth between us starts to separate it. And it gives us clarity on Christianity and its foundation as well as on Buddhism and its foundation. You see, Buddha tells us that the end of all suffering is the elimination of desire, that we are to move towards absolute detachment and emptiness, that the end of suffering is actually the end of self. That if you are proud because you know a lot of the dogma, okay, that pride is wrong. You need to remove all those kinds of things. Oh, I, I really love my children. Well, is that love now controlling you? You need to remove that love. You can be there with your children, but you can't let the attachment take hold of your lives. And you have to move to a place of detachment. And again, that becomes kind of the absence of self. And Jesus teaches us that we are actually created for pleasure. Jesus said his desire was that our joy would be made full. And so the end of suffering comes through the birth of joy. Not the removal of it, but the birth of joy. Where it's not eliminating our desires, but it's redirecting our desires that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And if we take our desires and move them to a healthy place, that will deal with the sufferings that we go through when we put our trust and hope in the wrong things. Buddha says that we are to eliminate our desires. Jesus says we are to transfer our desires from loving the world to loving God. See, desires can lead to suffering if you're desiring the wrong things, but God has created us for desire. 
Our desires need to be fueled, though, by love. When we give our hearts to God, God gives us a love that is pure. And then we need to walk in that love and in his desires that then fuel our lives. In Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So it's not remove desires, it's delight in the right thing so that you have the right desires. We all want to deal with suffering. We, we all want to stop pain that affects us or the people that we love. We all want and ask the questions, why did this happen and why do things like this happen? You know, the Buddha mentality or the Buddhist mentality is if there is this much suffering, there can be no God. And then the elimination of God was also the elimination of the human soul. And Jesus' voice says that there is a God and you were created in his image and his likeness. You are not part of some impersonal energy, but there is uniqueness in who you are. Where Buddhism wants you to become no identity, Jesus wants you to embrace the identity that God has given to you. See, both believe that there is something after life. The Buddhist believes that there is karma and that you have to go through life and go through life and get it right, get it right till you become nothing. Whereas a follower of Christ believes that we were created by God to be eternal beings and after the choices we make in this life are made, then those choices result in the eternity that we live afterwards. According to scripture, you are a unique soul and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so where the Buddhist has to deal with the desires and the attachment to things, and it's important that we recognize what we attach ourselves to affects us, but their, their point is to stop all attachments. There isn't a right or wrong. All attachments are harmful because even love can hurt, especially love can hurt, right? You notice that how do you get rid of a broken heart? You know, if you got a daughter and she comes home and she says, oh, I just met Carlos. He's the most wonderful guy in the world. You know, oh, really? Yeah, and she's writing his name on all her notebooks. Carlos hearts. Love Carlos. And then a, a couple of days later, she comes in and she's mad and she's throwing this, well, what's wrong? Carlos started going out with Jenny instead of me. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. He's a jerk. I hate Carlos. And then the next week, it's terrible around the house. There's a pouting little girl going around, just staying in her room, watching Lifetime all day. <laughs> then one day she, she comes back. And she's smiling. There's a skip in her step. You go, hey, what's going on? You and Carlos get back together. Oh, no, Carlos. He's such an idiot. I don't care about him. 
It's Jason. (laughs) You see, what helps the broken heart or the lost love is a new love. I mean, even if it's puppy love, it was, you know, it's just puppy love. Well, it's real to the puppy, you know. The thing that deals with the broken love is another love. And what has to happen in our lives is we have to stop loving the wrong things and then move to loving the right things. They're finding when they're dealing with troops that come back from war that are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and dealing with depression, that it's not enough to tell them what has happened to them and, and you know show them what is wrong. What they have to do is connect them to a future that they can live for. In other words, if there is something that I can live for, then I have a reason and a motive to live. If there is nothing to live for, then I will be overwhelmed with where I'm at. And so many times we are overwhelmed with where we are at and the sufferings and the things that have happened to us and how they have affected us. And what we need to do isn't to just eliminate all these things, but what we need to do is connect to something else that will pull us up and take us forward. And and that's where Jesus comes in. And he says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn of me, for I'm gentle, meek. You will find rest for your souls. You see, it's to move us forward. This young man I was talking about, Kwok, I can remember having a conversation with him. After a few months, he, he, came, he just seemed bummed. He seemed over, overwhelmed. I asked him, what's wrong? And he says, I can't do it. I said, can't do what? He goes, I'm not good enough. And I was like, what do you mean you're not good enough? He goes, I, I'm not good enough to please God. And you see, he, he's coming from this mentality that I need to, to eliminate anything that causes suffering is showing me that this karma is driving me. And so he has this conviction that he needs to be more and he can't quite be more. And the whole idea in that Buddhist mindset is, well, you have to go through this life, eliminate that as much as you can, and then you get another chance, another life. And hopefully you do better that time. And so imagine thinking, man, I failed this test. I got to take it again. And what that test is, is a whole nother life. And I still got 60 years to live in this one. That'd suck. Right? I mean, man, what a burden. It's just weighing on you. Oh, no. And he's just coming. He says, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. And I'm asking him, what do you mean you're not good enough? He goes, I'm not the person that I know God wants me to be. And so I cannot live the life that God wants me to live. And I said, you you don't have to worry about that. You see where... Buddhism, you have to live this life. And if you're dealing with the karma here, then you will die. And then you will have to be born again. Born again. Jesus allows you to die now. And be born again now. And that karma that you're worried about, Jesus takes that. 
See, the good news is you don't have to carry the burden. Jesus has carried it for you. You don't have to eliminate the desires. God has given you desires. What you need to do is now desire him. And he will take all the karma that was yours upon himself and give you a new life. Give you his life. You see... Buddha was right. You will never be satisfied with what this world offers, but you will not ever stop your cravings and your desire because you were created to desire. And what you were created to desire first and foremost was the God who created you. And if you will desire him, if you will, Put your trust in him. If you delight in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. See, it's not the removal of of desire. It's the redirection of desire. It's not you have to get it right. It is God has got it right for you. It's not that you have to atone for the wrong that you've done and you have to die. Jesus has died for you that you can be born again now. I remember hearing a story of a guy. He was a radio show host and he was a Buddhist and he went and he talked to Irwin and Irwin told him about Jesus and they had an interview on the radio station. And then this, this guy was just haunted by the things that Irwin was saying. And he's saying, man, I, I just, everywhere I go, I feel like I'm seeing crosses. I'm just getting this image of God in Jesus. And I don't know what it means. So he went to one of the priests at the temple. And he goes, you know, this guy started telling me about Jesus and I don't know what it means. It's like happening over and over and over again. I keep seeing things. And the priest told him, the monk told him, he goes, oh, yeah, you know, in Buddhism, you have to, to spend many lifetimes trying to get it right. In Christianity, it, it's a shortcut. Jesus gets it right, and then you're okay. That's what he told them. Like, okay. And he became a Christian because of what the monk said. <laughs> Go figure. See, the truth is that between us, there is the desire for relief. There is desire for meaning. And where one thinks, well, if I can eliminate all desires, I can eliminate all suffering. Well, yeah, your, your desires, if they're wrong, they will cause a lot of suffering. But if your love and desire are right, they can actually produce joy in life that overwhelms the suffering. But there are a lot of things that can engage us in conversation. And I believe that the God who created us all is the God who puts the desires in us all. And his voice won't be silenced. we can engage in a meaningful conversation. And maybe we can start with some of these points. 
and carry the conversation further. Let's pray. Father, I, I think it is a common struggle for us to want to atone for the things that we have done wrong. To want to alleviate the guilt and the suffering. And there may be people here who have grown up in church and have called themselves Christian who have this mentality that I'm just not good enough. I got to get it right. If I don't get it right, then I'm lost forever. And Jesus, you have come to set us free. You have come that our joy might be full. You've come to give us life and life in abundance. So as everyone's praying right now and just has their head bowed, I, I can't move forward without presenting this to you. If you are struggling with the burden of depression and suffering that is because you aren't good enough, if you are thinking that you can't be a a follower of Jesus because you just can't get it right, then I want to invite you to die to yourself and to live for God. I want to invite you to recognize that what you can't do, Jesus has already done for you. I, I want you to remove the burden that you're carrying that's attached to the works that you do instead of attached to the love that God has given to you. And I want you, I want to invite you to a life of joy and I want you to see what is ahead of you as you delight in the Lord and as you journey with him and as he shapes you into his image, as he pulls that out of this new creation he makes in you. So if you're here and you're just feeling overwhelmed and burdened and you want the life that God gives now, do you raise your hand so I could pray with you? God bless you. Anyone else? Father, you you see the hand raised, Lord, and you know the hearts that are here, Lord, and I pray that you would set us free from the burden of our goodness, trying to live well enough. And Lord, instead of trying to clean our lives up, May we try and enjoy the life that you give and pursue you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And Lord, if we would delight in you, you will give us the desires of our heart. Lord, you will change the desires of our heart. God, you will change us. Change us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.